Uh, Heavenly Father, again, I'm reminded that you have already blessed your word, and so now we as your people come to you to speak to us now the living word. May your spirit be upon me, and may your spirit work in everyone gathered here so that we can receive the revelation of your truth uh, into our lives so that we might be convicted, we might be edified, we might not always simply be better equipped to be the people that you are calling us to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Whoo, thank you. With that, I better just read God's word and get back on track here. We are jumping back into the gospel of John now and continuing through the miracles. Remember, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. In John's gospel, the latest gospel, it's the most curated of the gospels because he's telling a story to really pull some themes and some things together for us. And as such, he only highlights seven miracles. And really, most of them are unique, except what we had talked about actually last fall and then touched upon a little bit last week, the feeding of the 5,000. And today's miracle, Jesus walking on water. All of the other ones actually are unique to John's gospel. But each of these are also unique because John is highlighting them as signs. Yes, they're miracles. They're suspensions of or overreaching the world of the natural. And he is showing us so that they're not just these miracles, of course, they're signs. And signs give us some information, signs give us some instruction. A sign is always telling us something, and it's telling us something what we should do in response to that information. So we're learning some things about Jesus, who he is, why he came, what he's able to do, what he is doing, and how we live then in light of that information. With that said, again, this is John's telling of the story of Jesus walking on water from uh, chapter 6 here. We'll pick up. When evening came, oh, I just lost it. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. And they were frightened, rightfully so. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now I got to tell you a secret. It's actually not too hard to walk on water. I've done it many times. You've done it many times. Of course, everybody knows, you know, you're walking on snow, you're walking on ice. Technically speaking, you're walking on water. And people will come up with all kinds of creative ways to try and explain this, which is clearly a miraculous endeavor, walking on water. But I will tell one anecdote before I swing back to the deeper stuff of the message and God's word for us. Uh, it was a couple uh, years ago, about 12 years ago, uh, now that uh, we're in Canada, we're planting uh, the church up there and it the last day that the local ski resort was open they always had a puddle jump Everybody, anybody ever do a puddle jump 
where you like see, all right, Tim has done it. It's great. Well, I'll take it. We'll go up to Winter Park. We'll do it again this year. It's always a great time. So uh, it was after church one Sunday. I said, hey, our whole family are going to go and do the puddle jump over at the bowler bump. And so like a ton of people from the church showed up. And so uh, we all lined up and it was a bunch of little kids in front of me and they're like skiing down. They're just like crashing into the water, just one after the other. It, it was hilarious. And then, and then I came ripping down uh, that hill. And of course, I just went flying across the water. Actually, I have a video of it, but we couldn't find it online. I'll find it at some point and repost it. And I went flying across the water and, and all this stuff. Now, the point of this, why I wanted to tell this story is the local paper was there. And they said, who is this guy? And they asked, uh, who is this guy to a guy whose name is John Vandersteen? And John Vandersteen is Joy's uncle, who we knew, talk about a small world. It was, it was Joy's uncle. And John Vandersteen said to the newspaper, that's my pastor. He walks on water because I had just skimmed across that. Bend. And the paper, they actually put that in the local newspaper, pastor walks on water. It was the greatest moment of my life. I mean, I will probably never, you know, do anything more wonderful in my life than that moment, the pastor. So really, we can try and explain this away. Give somebody enough velocity, give them enough speed and a couple of planks on their feet. And sure, you are going to walk on water. But we know that, again, this is pointing out something about Jesus who is not, this isn't a trick. This isn't magic. This isn't illusion. This isn't flying down a hill to skim over the pond. This is Jesus really walking on water. So the question is, what is this going to tell us? How does this become a sign for us, for understanding and embracing Jesus all the more? John also gives us an insight whenever he starts telling this story. It says that after the feeding of the 5,000, the crowd was ready to make Jesus their king. Now, Jesus, knowing that this is about to happen, uh, he knows it is not yet his time. His time will come about a year from now, and he will not become a king like any of the people were wanting to crown him. He would become the king who would come forward to die the death that we deserve, become the sacrifice that we couldn't be, to pay the price that we couldn't earn, to achieve the forgiveness and the resurrection that was out of our reach. And so Jesus is fulfilling his call to be king in a way that the people were still not expecting. And knowing that they wanted to make him king and make a big deal of this, he sends the people away. He goes up on a mountain to pray because originally... If we want to remember just a little farther back, the whole reason he went here, because he wanted some rest, he wanted a retreat, he wanted time with his father in prayer, he still hasn't gotten that. And it says then that he made the disciples get onto the boat. And we should just pause long enough to hear that as a good word for us, that sometimes Jesus makes us get onto the the boat. Sometimes Jesus makes us to do some things that maybe we don't want to do in the natural. Jesus, if I, he is our Lord, if we are following him, if we have committed ourselves to discipleship, we need to occasionally, I hope not all the time, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I hope this isn't like I'm so disobedient that every day he has to redirect me. But if Jesus isn't making you do some things, I think we have to some, we, we might, you might want to just take a little moment of prayer in the day or in the week to come and say, am I, am I really listening? Am I really taking the time to listen to your com commands and to strive for obedience? 
obedience. Because I thoroughly believe when I examine my own life that it is really only because Christ has compelled me that I've done certain things. But there's a beauty, there's a joy, there's a sense of release when we're willing to say, I will do so, I will follow, I will get into that boat, I will go where you're calling me to go because you say so. Oh, we're gonna hear more of that because you say so. But this is the beginning of that command that we should respond to because you say so. What have you done recently because Christ has commanded you? Have you gone and loved a neighbor the way Christ compels you to do? Have you forgiven somebody from whom you hold a grudge because Christ compels you to do it? Have you given generously to a cause because Christ compels you to do it? Have you gone off in service and mission? Have you stepped up and stepped in in the gap to help somebody because Christ's love compels you? Have you walked away from a behavior, from a trait, from an area of your life that you know is not glorifying to God and is not blessing you and is not blessing your neighbor because Christ calls you to do it? Sometimes discipleship demands that we go where simply Jesus says, Go, get into the boat and cross the lake. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't always have to make sense. But again, that's the part of faith that we don't want to push so far that it breaks. But my goodness, sometimes, I'll just be honest, I don't want my life to make perfect sense in the natural. I am looking for the supernatural. I'm looking for the revelation. I'm looking for the obedience that takes me beyond my Self, Go and do those things that you wouldn't naturally do because you know, though, that Christ is calling you to do it. Now, it's quite understandable why they might not want to go. Well, one, he's their, he's their master. He's their Lord. They've called him master. They've called him Lord. They've now pledged themselves to follow him. And they wouldn't want to leave him. So it'd be sort of strange that he'd be like, I, you listen, you're just overbearing. Like, get away from me a little bit. I mean, it's like, there's like, like I just need some time alone. Uh, I can relate to that. But more so, let's remember that most of these guys, half of these guys, they're, they're fishermen. And they fed the 5,000. The miracle itself would have taken some time if you kind of just go through the logistics of feeding a crowd like that. It was already late in the day. We know that now the sun is setting. It is the end of the day. They can probably see the storm coming. I mean, it doesn't say that in the text, but if it's like the, the sun is set and it's evening and you're a fisherman, you're like, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, there's a storm coming. Like you really, th this is commanding our obedience all the more because it seems to me that they are looking into the eye of the storm, but they're willing to say, because you say so, Jesus, we will get onto that boat and we will go across that lake, which again, if we ponder the meaning of this sign and what it's pointing out about Jesus and what it's pointing us towards is that sometimes obedience is actually taking us into the storm. And nobody said hallelujah and amen on that one. <laughs> Sometimes obedience is actually going to be that thing that takes us into the storms of life. There's a great prayer that I've prayed often. It's almost become one of these kind of bumper stickers of Christianity, colloquial wheelisms of faith. Uh, Jesus will bring uh, comfort to the afflicted but affliction to the comfortable. Now, I think a lot of us, we come to Jesus in comfort. 
we come to Jesus in the comfort that he can provide. And praise be to God for that. Praise be to God truly that in our times of distress and turmoil, when our health is failing, when our relationships are failing, when our work is failing, when our bank account is failing, when we are failing, when we fall short, when we feel inadequate, less than all that stuff, that he comes to us and he can provide comfort. He can provide peace. He can open up a door for us. He can make a breakthrough for us. He can work a healing miracle for us. Praise be to God that so often we come to faith when he brings us comfort in the afflictions that the world throws on us, right? Have we experienced that? I hope you have. Hallelujah and amen. He does. But there is something certainly about faith that he seems to then, once we're all settled in, right when things are going good, have you ever had that, that experience where somebody tells you how things are going and things are going so good and you tell them about it and then your next thought is, oh man, the other shoe's about to drop. <laughs> What's about to happen now because things are going good? It does seem to be the case that when things get too comfortable, when we're well fed, when Jesus has shown us his power through a miracle, when they're ready to crown him king. And the disciples here could be thinking, man, this is firing on all cylinders. Like this is going to be a good deal of discipleship following this guy who works miracles and they're gonna make king. Jesus says, I think you're getting a little too comfortable with what you think is the plan. Time for a storm. If we are examining a lot of our lives, I think that truth of it is, and praise be to this, we, we probably are experiencing a lot more comfort than affliction. You, you probably drove here in a car, you're going to go back to a home where you're going to have food, you're going to have TV, you're going to be able to watch the Olympics or the Super Bowl or rugby tournament. Or I walked in and with all things going on, Chris is watching rugby. I'm like, is there another thing going on in the world that I don't know about? Um, we, for the most part, have very comfortable lives. Our obedience will sometimes bring us into the storm, into those places where we know we need, where we're depending on, we're calling out for the presence, for the hand, for the help of Jesus Christ. And praise be to God for those moments in our life when he meets us in the storm. So there you go, friends. Sometimes obedience is going to take us right into the heart of the storm. And that's exactly what happens as these disciples obey their master and Lord Jesus Christ. It says there in the text, of course, that they've rowed the boat through the night. They've been working through this storm. Uh, we read that they're about three or four miles out. We uh, read that uh, in, I think it was Matthew's uh, text or Mark's text, says that gives us the added insight. It was about the fourth watch of the night, which, oh, that's a whole thing. Like they've gone through all the night and it's always dark darkest before the dawn, as they say. So this has been going on for hours and hours and hours. And then we read this thing, and it's one of these, and we're going to see this a couple times here now. It's like now the miracle within the miracle within the miracle. We're going to have layers and layers of miracles here when we, when we really examine this text. It says that Jesus saw them. Jesus saw them in the storm. Now, now, I don't know in the natural, of course, how this happened. They say that if you go to this part of the world and you go to that lake and you go up to the mountain, and if it's a perfectly clear day, that you can actually see all the way over the lake of the Gennesaret there. However, there's a storm and it's the middle of the night. <laughs> It's darkest before the dawn and there are waves crashing against this boat. They say, I don't know how Jesus does it, but there is no night too dark 
that he does not see his children in the storm. There is no storm too great that he does not see his disciples floundering in that mess. There is no wave too big crashing over our lives that Jesus doesn't see his children. Jesus is watching. The Lord is watching. Every time I read this um, in a book by Mark Batterson when he deals with this uh, miracle, he says, we're reminded of this every time we pull out a dollar bill. I haven't pulled out a dollar bill, I think, in two years now, but I do remember this, seeing a dollar bill um, back in days past. There is that pyramid, and at the top of the pyramid, there is an eye. And the story of that is that was the founding fathers just wanting to remind us of the eye of providence. The eye of providence, God's providential protection over his children, over his people. God's eye of providence is always upon us. Jesus is watching us. If you are in a storm, you may feel abandoned. It may be a few hours till it breaks. It might still be darkest before that dawn, but Jesus is not unaware of the trials and the tribulations that we go through, and more so what we now read in the text, that Jesus comes to us, that Jesus, when the time is right, never too early, never too late, when the time is right, Jesus comes out to his children. Jesus comes to us. Jesus is walking across the water. I've said it before, why this, why now? I don't know if I could walk on water, I'd do it all the time. It'd be the greatest party trick ever. But Jesus is now showing his command and his control over all of creation, how he sees his children in the storms and is willing to come to them. It says that he went to them. Don't miss how he is going to his disciples in their terror, in their fear, when they're thinking it might all be for naught. He's coming to them. He's coming to us. It will not be too early. It will not be too late. Let us just always profess the faith to which we hold, which we sang beautifully just a moment ago. He will come when the time is right. He will come again for us. He's coming to his disciples. But his disciples... They think it's a ghost. And why wouldn't they? If you saw a figure walking across the water in the middle of the storm in the dark of night, you would be pretty freaked out too. There was a kind of a legend that went around in this time, uh, in this region, that if you were going to die at sea, that the ghosts, that the spirits, that the uh, forces of the underworld would come and collect you. Now, it was a convenient superstition because if people never came back from a fishing trip, which happens sometimes, of course, then you could say, well, I guess they got taken. And if they made it back, they'd say, did you see any ghosts? And say, no, I didn't see any ghosts. I made it back. So it's one of those things where it's just superstitious. There's just enough like true, like reality maybe in it that is very believable, but it can never be fully backed up. But they're thinking, I guess it's true. I guess this is it. I guess we're about to die. It says they were terrified. You got to love it. I mean, terrified, screaming out. It is, I mean, when was the last time you were terrified? I don't know if you've been terrified recently, but whenever terror truly grips your heart, your mind, your being. I mean, just try to go back to that moment uh, just to get that sense of what is happening here. They were frightened before, but they're terrified now. They were worried about the storm, but they're terrified that they're dead. I mean, they have gone from bad to worse, but Jesus then calls out 
It is I, don't be afraid. But if we look to the literature, if we look to the language of this, it's a little bit more direct. I am, don't be afraid. I am, don't be afraid. And this is so John. This is what we need to see here, what I want you to see here. Take this from home, uh, put this in, circle it in your Bible there, write it in your notes, get it tattooed somewhere on your body. I don't know. Um, uh, John has done a beautiful job as he's curated and crafted this telling of the life of Jesus. He keeps pulling together this I am theme. Jesus declares to a woman he meets at a well who is far from God, who is, you know, just, just, just life has dealt her some, some horrible, horrible blows and she's made some bad choices. To her, he says, I am the spring of living water. He will go on to tell his disciples, I am the very bread of life. He will tell people that follow him, I am the good shepherd, the one who will bring you into pasture and still water and good rest and restoration. I am in fact the gate to open the doors for eternal life for you. Jesus will say that I am the way. He will say that I am the life. He will say that I am the truth. John keeps highlighting these I am statements of Jesus. And when Jesus says I am these things, he is saying even more. He is connecting himself to the great I am. We have been learning in this Wednesday night Bible study in our journey through Exodus how this is the revelation of God for us. He is the great I am. And Jesus is making this profound, heretical on some levels for many people, but what we believe to be the absolute truth and revelation he is, in fact, the great I am in flesh and blood now standing before these people walking on the water, coming to them. And, and that is the takeaway for us, this declaration that John wants us to get. And John does a beautiful job sort of just like wrapping to a, to a close here because he wants us, he, he doesn't want us to miss that point. I'm gonna say a little bit more because I have a little bit more time. He doesn't want us to miss that point though. I am the great I am. Jesus here is saying, just as the great I am hovered over the waters of creation, there is no problem for me to hover over the waters of this storm because I am the great I am. Just as the great I am brought order out of chaos, it is no trouble for me to bring calm to this storm because I am the great I am. Just as the great I am brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of your captivity, into the promised land, it is no problem for me, Jesus the great I am, to deliver you into the promise of salvation and eternal life. So hallelujah and amen, we worship Jesus the great I am, the king of creation, bringing order out of chaos, delivering us into the promises of God. And that's a great story. But I knew I would have a few more minutes so I wanna tell you a little bit about part two. That's what we learn about Jesus in this story. But Matthew tells us another miracle within the miracle within the miracle. And Matthew's telling, he talks about a little encounter that we have with Peter. And because we talked about Peter in his call last week, I'm gonna talk for just a moment about what happens with Peter and what difference it makes in his life and then what difference it can make in our lives, of course. Uh, Peter, we, we met last week, Peter who, was introduced to Jesus by his brother, Andrew. 
Peter, who was then named Simon. And Jesus says, you will become Peter, the rock on which I build my church. And Peter is so impressed by this that he goes back to fishing. And then we remember that Peter was fishing and then Jesus came to his house and he stayed at his house and Jesus even miraculously healed his mother-in-law and he was so impressed with Jesus that he still went back fishing and finally last week remember that he moved from that familiarity with Jesus to becoming a follower of Jesus he pulled up his boat he dropped his nets he embraced the call I will make you a fisher of people and he begins to follow Jesus Christ now Peter here uh, he has he's all in he's following jesus but you got to love here what, what what happens we get this insight that peter is the one who, who calls out then if it is you lord tell me to come to you and that's that's a great that's a great prayer <laughs> if it is you tell me i think again The call of discipleship, the demand of discipleship is the willingness to surrender our lives to simply say, tell me, Lord, what to do, and I will do it. There's a beautiful kind of two parts here. He he is willing to ask, (laughs) and he is willing to act. And that is so much the heart of discipleship, simply being willing to ask. If we really examine our lives, what have we asked of the Lord? What have we offered of ourselves? Have we truly gone to him and asked, Lord, what would you have of me? Lord, what would you make of my life? Lord, what would you have me do with my time? Lord, what would you have me do with my education? Lord, what would you have me do with my marriage? Lord, what would you have me do with my parenting and raising my children? Lord, what would you have me do in my place? Are we really coming and asking the Lord, and are we willing to act on that? And what you gotta love about the story is how Peter here, he is willing to go all in. He is willing to just just, just get out of the boat. And, and that's a great book. There's a great book by John Ortberg, and, and the rub of it is, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. He is willing to ask Jesus, and he is willing to act on the command. Jesus simply says, come. He says, come, and Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to float. He begins to walk on water. And and it just struck me this week, uh, preparing for this and praying about it and thinking about it. There's a great humor. The Bible is sometimes humorous. The rock is walking on water right now. I I think Jesus had that in mind all along. I'm gonna name you the rock and a couple years from now, you are going to float on water. That is not natural. That is not normal. And what Jesus wants to do with this isn't natural and it isn't in the normal. It can so often be wonderfully extraordinary. You just gotta love how the rock floats here. How the rock is walking on water until he isn't. (laughs) So, So like he's crushing it. He's walking on water. He is obeying the call of Jesus Christ. He has stepped out of the boat. He is experiencing a miracle that by my count, two people have experienced, Jesus and him in this moment. This is awesome. And again, then it isn't because he does what so many of us would do. He simply begins to recognize and realize what is actually happening. And fear sets in. Said he saw the wind, he saw the waves, he sees the circumstances, and he begins to sink. And he says the best prayer that maybe is, you know, one of the best prayers that has ever been prayed, save me. There's no eloquence to it. There's no 25 cent theological pastor words to throw out here. There's no need for it. It's just save me. 
And let us never stray too far from that prayer in any of our lives. Jesus, save me. (laughs) Jesus, save me. Save me from the mess I'm in. Save me from the mess I've made. Save me from the despair. Save me, Lord. Just, it's such a beautiful prayer. Save me. And then it says, Jesus caught him. Somehow in that moment, again, I think it's a miracle within the miracle. I don't know what the distance is. I don't know how far this is happening. I I, I wish I could, you know, we'll get the whole story later. Um, But he begins to sink. But I just love how the text says, Jesus reached out and caught him. Again, Jesus doesn't just see us. Jesus doesn't just come to us. Jesus doesn't just call to us. Jesus is willing to catch us. Jesus is there to catch you. If you feel like you're falling, you feel like you're sinking, if you feel like you're lowest of lows right now, I wanna just pray a prayer before the service is over and we're gonna wrap it up here in just a moment that he is gonna catch you. He is gonna take you by the hand. He's gonna hold you up. He's going to walk along with you and put you back in the place of safety, of his protection, of his care, of his compassion. He's reaching out to catch us when we feel like we are sinking. Hallelujah and amen and praise God for a savior who catches us when we fall short because we do fall short. And Jesus, still being a bit stern here now, and and we're gonna wrap this up with this one here. He he says this, uh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? I mean, it's, it's, it's a great question. If you've come this far, if you got out of the boat, if you, if you were walking on water, what happened to take you off that course? But it does. It does happen. We can come off of a great victory in life. We can come off of great successes in life. We can come out of great moments of faithfulness and that the very next moment we seem to stumble and fail. There seems to be a pattern in scripture where Jesus is actually inviting us to be very wary of it, that we can, like the prophet Elijah, fight the prophets on Mount Carmel and win the greatest victory like the people have ever seen. We can call down fire from heaven, you know, and God can act in amazing ways on our behalf. And in the very next moment, we feel like we're running from our lives, afraid from somebody who wanted to kill him, afraid again of the things that come crashing into our lives. He's standing in the midst of this great victory of faith, of walking on water, and yet almost in the natural, in that flesh, in that sense, Fear sets in and he begins to sink. But here's the thing that Jesus, I think, is telling us. Jesus can do a lot with a little. If we look at the theme of these miracles, these signs that John has been telling us about, he keeps showing us that he can do a lot if we're willing to give him a little. There can be a multitude of hungry people, but if one boy is willing to come forward with a lunch, Jesus says, I can do a lot with that little bit. And here he's saying, if you can give me a little bit of faith, there's a lot that I can do with that. It's almost like Jesus is telling us, if you give me nothing, if you don't give me something to work with, 
there's little that I can do in your life, but if you give me that little bit of faith, if you give me that little bit of time, if you give me that little bit of devotion, if you give me that little bit of obedience, if you give me that little bit, there's a lot that I can do with it. Jesus isn't looking for perfection because he'd still be looking for anybody to use to continue his mission and to call and to build his church and to do his work. He isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for a little bit of faith that we are willing to muster up to get us out of the boat and we can go to him. I want to invite our worship team to come up and then can continue us in a little bit of uh, worship here. Peter so often gets a bad rap, right? I, I, I don't know if where you're at and you know, you've been around the church for a long time or st- still new to all of this. I always feel, I always feel like Peter gets a bad rap from, if you, well, my world, it was this song we talked about. Peter was impetuous. Peter always made a fuss. Anybody remember that one? No, I'm weird. All right, that's fine. You know, you know, we, we seem to really like to highlight the, the flaws of Peter's life. And, and there's a lot of lessons there, of course. But let's just not forget, of course, that Peter is the one willing to pull up his boat from shore and to follow him. And he became a faithful disciple, the rock on which Jesus would build his church. Peter starts to sink in the midst of the storm, but he was the one who was willing to get out of the boat and trust in faith with him. Peter would, you know, attack some people that were trying to arrest Jesus and say they even would cut off this guy's ear. But at least Peter was willing to step and, and fight for Jesus as Savior and Lord. We get all on Peter's case because he would deny Jesus three times when confronted by a crowd asking if he was a disciple of his. But he was the only one willing enough to get close enough to the trial to get caught. Peter would be so discouraged, so distraught, so broken after that incident that even after the resurrection, he would then go back again to fishing. And Jesus, as we're going to read, would have to come back and call him out of the boat yet again to be a disciple. But Peter would be the one who would stand up on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He would preach the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that he is offering to us. And it said that more than 3,000 would be added to the church that day. Oh, my friends, Peter is the most awesome example for us because here is a man plagued by deep flaws, by deep doubts, by grave mistakes that surely would have haunted him, But oh my goodness, but he was a man who was able to be used powerfully by God. It seems to me that Peter was a man who said, I will not be defined by the fear that I experienced when Jesus brought forth that miraculous catch. But I will be defined by my decision to follow him. I will not be defined by my fear that caused me to start to sink in that water in that storm but I will be defined by the faith that allowed me to walk on water. I will not be defined for the mistake that I made and the injury that I caused to this guard, but I'll be defined by the healing that came through Jesus Christ for him and for me. I will not be defined by this denial that could so easily have plagued him, but I'll be defined by the forgiveness Jesus Christ has offered me. I will not be defined by the failures of my life, but by the forgiveness and the call and the mission that Christ has compelled me to. And so Peter receives the hand of Jesus. Jesus takes him back into the boat. And it says they worshiped him as the son of God. 
And part of the beauty, again, of what John is revealing for us is now this has moved from Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, their master, Jesus, their Lord, to now Jesus, the one that they know is the son of God in whom they worshiped. So I'm going to say a prayer and let's worship him too. Ah, Heavenly Father, I thank you for these miracles. And I, I, I still confess and feel I'm, I'm working through them and the challenges that they bring, um, but the way that they are stretching uh, my faith and my understanding. Uh, God, I am grateful that you're just getting bigger. You're just getting greater. You're just getting more in my thoughts and in my life and in my understanding. So I pray that these miracles could be working a miracle in our lives, that it could grow our faith and have us to trust you, that these would be signs for us of who you are and how we might direct our lives. I pray for a faith in each and every one of us now, a faith for every man and woman here, a faith that is willing to hear your call and to step out in faith and to trust that with you, we can walk on water. With you, we can experience the miraculous, that we can always call to you and you will reach out and take us and save us and draw you close to yourself. So I pray again, Lord, let us now truly see who you are. You are the son of God, our savior and Lord. Let us worship you. Pray this in your name, amen.